Greetings and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime, and I'm your host, Frank Zaffaro. And this is an open and shut episode with Holly West. Now, Holly is a fellow grifter. She's uh, just written an episode of Grifter Song, uh, and then uh, she has a series of her own. And she's very active at the different uh, conferences and uh, has a really nice energy about her. If you ever get a chance to meet her, you'll see what I mean. Uh, I had a great conversation with her, and we're going to dive into that. But first, I want to let you know that Wrong Place or Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it on the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If you'd like to learn more about Down and Out Books, and uh, I think you do, you can go to downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com, downandoutbooks. Take the journey with us. And now let's find out about Holly's work as a grifter and her time in 17th century London. Well, hello, Holly, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for asking me. Well, I've been excited to have you on for a long time now. You're a, a, a very pleasant person to talk with. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm not the only one that thinks that, though. Uh, whenever I go to conferences, you are definitely, um, you uh, you mix well with people. Yeah, I sometimes I don't feel like I do. And I, I think that everybody has this where they are perceived by other people differently than they perceive themselves. Mm-hmm. And I do tend to get overstimulated, for lack of a better way to put it, when I'm in those types of social situations. So it's like Holly on 11. I'm a lot more low key in real life than I am, mm-hmm. you know, in, in conference situations. But one thing that people have told me, and this is back before I even really started going to conferences, that I, I put people at ease. In, and that I tried to give them a good experience. I don't even know how to put this. I, I had, didn't really expect to be talking about this, but I think that's it's important. And that is that I think it's important to make people feel welcome mm-hmm. because you're in that conference situation and you don't know anybody. And so when I see people, my delight that I say, you know, oh, it's so good to see you, blah, blah, blah. I actually mean it. And I think people... Um, feel that Mm -hmm. and so i do think it's one of my one of my gifts (laughs) yeah i i think it i think it shows for sure and it it uh um people are you know most writers are are introverts to some degree or another sometimes extremely so and and so going to a writer's conference for a lot of people uh, a lot of writers is uh it's intimidating and when then you you come across somebody that you've known only virtually um, and, you know, and she smiles and says, so great to see and makes you feel perfectly at ease. And like, you're the reason she came to the conference was hoping to bump into you. You know, I mean, that's kind of a nice reception and it puts you at ease and then allows you to go out and maybe do the same for other people. Yeah. I, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm intimidated by conferences too. I am just as likely to be standing in a corner by myself 
or more likely walking into a room where I don't know anybody and then turning around and going right back out. So I have those two. It's not like I walk into every situation and think, oh, I'm totally at ease here. I know everybody. I can talk to anybody. That's not true at all. So um, I think that there's kind of that two sides to me. I am definitely an introvert. And if left to my own devices, I'll just stay holed up in my room all day. But there's also that aspect of me that, that kind of needs some energy that other people can give. And when I'm in a conference situation, I also tell myself, you know, I'm paying for this experience. And if I just, you know, keep to myself the whole time, I'm not going to really get anything out of it. Certainly not my money's worth. And um, since I work from home, sometimes these are the only times that I actually get to get out and socialize and wear proper clothes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, well, you do have one of the more popular uh, panels at Left Coast Crime, I will say. And as far as putting people at ease, um, mm-hmm. you do that everywhere, but on this particular panel. <laughs> Maybe you could share with the listeners what that panel is. Well, for the last, I think this will be the fourth time I've moderated the sex panel at Left Coast Crime. And the way I got that gig is that Jess Laurie, who is a funny, charming, beautiful woman, fantastic writer, get her her latest book, um, Unspeakable Things. It's a beautifully written book. But anyway, uh, she had moderated it for a couple of years. And about four years ago, she didn't go to Love Coast Crime and suggested me to the panel organizers um, to to do it. And I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I never really thought of myself as the type of person that would be good at something like that. But it turns out I am. <laughs> and it's, it is a popular panel and it can't help but get raunchy. I sometimes I feel like I don't want to put because some of the panelists aren't necessarily, you know, the type of people who are comfortable with kind of sex talk. That's what makes I it so funny. I don't even know that I am. And so you have to, there's a, a boundaries that you have to um, remember is that you do, you want to make it funny, but it's not funny if you like catch someone and something that they're just not comfortable talking about. <laughs> well, there are layers of discomfort and the first couple layers are pretty funny for everyone involved, I think. Yeah. And, and if you get beyond that and it becomes like, oh, they're seriously uncomfortable well, then that's not funny anymore. But I mean, I watched last year and you had Jim Ziskin and Lou Burney and, and uh-huh. Reese Bowen up there. And I, I I think Katrina McPherson was up there too. No, it was Lori Reader Day. Yeah, oh yeah, Lori, because she was, that was kind of where I first got to see how funny she was. And uh, I'll tell you, they were all uncomfortable. Uh, but that yeah. discomfort was a surface level discomfort. So it was funny. Yeah, but I, it's something that I'm always aware of. And when I send out the emails, uh, when I get the panel assignments, I always say, look, if there's something, you know, if you're truly uncomfortable with this, um, I don't usually I don't say, oh, you, maybe you should like back out. But I just say, you know, let me know if there's something that you really don't want to talk about. But most people know that it's all in good fun. Mm. Um, it does get it, it does get a little bit raunchy. Um, and the the audience needs to know that too, that if they're not comfortable with dirty words and uh, adult situations, that perhaps they should go to a different panel. <laughs> but um, beyond that, it's, it's fun. Well, there's a literary element to it too, because you, you have the different panelists reading, at least last uh, conference reading, basically terribly written graphic 
passages from, from well basically what those are is every year i forget what if it's the guardian some british magazine gives out the bad sex and literature awards so these <laughs> passages are from like really hoity-toity literature um books it's not porn but it's just like badly written sex by people that you would think would know better and they don't <laughs> They really don't. And so what's fun for me is reading whatever this year's uh, winners are and then trying to decide what what to take out of it. Like what's the best part to focus on in the panel and then who to assign that particular passage to. Um, and they don't get to see it before they read it. I just I give them like a, a stapled paper and I said, don't open this. And then they just have to read it blind and or read it cold. And it, it's funny. It is pretty, pretty hilarious, but we go, you go to those conferences for a reason. And that's because you write mysteries yeah. and, uh, and here we are well into the episode and we haven't talked about the mysteries that you write yet. Um, yeah. so I'd like to hear about those, your, your flagship series, your flagship uh, book is your mistress of fortune series. And I, I'd like to hear about that because it's, it's, it's a, it's an historical mystery for one thing. Yes. Well, those books were written, I like to say I, I wrote those when I was a little baby writer. The thing is, is I'm not much past baby writing at this point. I'm still a toddler. Um, what I've learned over the years, because I've been doing this now for like 10 years, and I it took five years to get those books published. And then I haven't published another actual book. We'll talk about the novella after this, but um, I hadn't published an actual novel in now, gosh, six years. Those books came out in, in 2014. At the time, I was fairly new to the mystery genre. I had not, I wasn't one of those people who read Agatha Christie and um, Nancy Drew. I did read Nancy Drew a little bit, but I really wasn't into um, mysteries. I didn't get into them until I was in my 30s, but I always wanted to write a novel because reading was a big part of my life. And so when I discovered mysteries, I just kind of thought, oh, this is what I'm going to write. And I had always had this idea for a, a historical that I wanted to write set in 17th century England. I mean, I was so far into writing it before I realized maybe this isn't what I want to do. <laughs> maybe I want to write a, a contemporary novel. And this has been my problem since is that whole idea of what do I really want to write? And everything else is shiny and new. But anyway, I'm really not doing a very good job of talking about the Mistress of Fortune books. But basically, I had been long enamored of London and that time period, which was um, the Restoration with King Charles II. And I came up with a character who is a, she's a mistress to the king in her real life, but in her secret life, she's a fortune teller. And it gets her into all sorts of troubles. And um, it's a dark, tonal-wise, the, the books are dark. Um, I call them like hard-boiled historical mysteries. Um, and so they're unique, I think. Well, I mean, there are other hard-boiled historical mysteries, but I think it was hard to find a marketplace for them. And uh, there are two books. So there's Mistress of Fortune and Mistress of Lies. I'm exceedingly proud of them. I think they're really good books. But I have since moved on. I think like you you said, my flagship books. And I'm like, well, that those ships 
have passed. <laughs> they're like, bye. No, so I don't mean to say that they're not worthy of reading because they absolutely are. They're good books and they have a really like a strong sense of atmosphere. Um, but I personally have moved on. Did you do a lot of research uh, for these books? I mean, they're set in uh, the 1670s. That's uh, quite a while ago. Well, yeah, I did. And that actually was the best, you know, research is the fun part. <laughs> Would you say that? Or do you prefer the writing? Um, I Both. The unfun part is cutting out all of the cool research that you put into the writing because yeah. you thought it was so cool. That's well, the there's nothing that worse than reading a book where you can see the art, the author's research, right? Where it's like kind of dumped on you. Mm -hmm. But if it's seamless, it's interesting. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. That's the art of it. I think with any writing. Uh, so I, one of my questions was going to be if there was going to be a third, uh, a third mistress book, and uh, I think we have our answer to that. Well, I've th I've thought about it. Um, the publisher, which is Harlequin, it's the it's Corinna Press, which is the digital uh, imprint of Harlequin. They declined a third in the series, but I there might be other options. I haven't gone back to it because I really haven't felt the need. But it's funny. Sometimes I'll be just living my life and I'll have this feeling of like being transported to the world that I had created uh, in the Mistress of Fortune series. Because I again, I love London when we. Oh, I love England. My husband's English. And so I've been there quite a few times. And um, when I finished the first book, Mistress of Fortune, we took a trip, a research trip, and we basically walked from one end of London to another, going to all the different locations that I had put in the book. And that's one of my best travel memories. Um, I don't know. Have you ever done a research trip like that? Mm -hmm. for yeah. when you've been? It's just... Mm -hmm really amazing to see i mean some people do it before they start writing in my case i had been to london but i had not gone to each because of the distance mm -hmm. you know it was hard to coordinate but um it's just kind of this amazing thing to see your locations in real life but here's the thing london and and some of these major cities that have been around for centuries there are layers to those cities and so what I was doing was searching for my locations, which were, some of them didn't exist anymore. And so you can only approximate them. Um, but it's, it's like, it felt like looking for hidden treasure, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, Rome is a city like that. It's a city of, of layers upon layers upon layers. And Absolutely. so it's pretty, it, it's pretty fascinating to see that. Um, even when we went to Ireland last summer, I was amazed at the contrast of the ancient and the, and the modern, you know, I mean, you have a 600 year old house with a satellite dish, you know, I mean, it's uh -huh. just <laughs> uh -huh. in London, you know, a lot of it was damaged over the centuries. And so mm -hmm. you're, especially in more, most recently the uh, world war two. And so you, you don't have access to all of the things you might've had, um, which is, you know, that's living life. <laughs> well, your life since writing the mistress books has uh, included some editing. Yes. Um, you edited a very well-received anthology uh, called Murder a Go-Go's, which was crime fiction inspired by the music of the Go-Go's, uh, which is kind of a funny choice of band on the surface because they're <laughs> such a poppy, upbeat band. Uh so I guess that'd be my first question is what drew you to choose uh, the Go-Go's? 
I wanted to write, or I wanted to edit a female-driven an music anthology. So the idea to do a music anthology, many, many people had done it before and many people have done it since. But um, I definitely wanted to do a female-driven anthology. And for me, there was no other choice but the Go-Go's. On the surface, the Go-Go's music is very poppy. I mean, that's what they were all about. It's fun little party music of the 80s. But underneath, you know, their melodies have some some darkness. Their lyrics have some dark darkness. And, and yeah, a lot of it is this man done me wrong, you know, and their love songs gone wrong, that sort of thing. But they're also about female freedom and um, pushing boundaries and not giving a fuck. And and so I felt it was a natural fit. Well, there's a stellar cover of, of a painting of the Go-Go's all dressed in, uh, you know, trench coats and fedoras. It's awesome. And you have an incredible lineup of very, uh, rightfully very female uh, heavy lineups some real heavy hitters uh and then some uh, but it's not exclusively female there's some male yeah. writers in there too uh and you edited it how was that experience i loved it i would do it again the only thing that um would prevent me at this point from doing it is the ability to pay the authors for their stories um uh, that that are worthy you know what i'm saying like i don't know what that amount would be off the top of my head but um, (laughs) it's difficult to edit an anthology and also pay your authors and people do it all the time but for me i would want to do it more than a token um and that is the the gogo's anthology was a charity anthology for to benefit um, planned parenthood so all of the authors and Jane Weedlin, who wrote the, she's a GoGo's co-founder, she wrote the foreword. Everyone, uh, including the publisher, for, did not take royalties for their stories, um, which is a common way for this to be done. Mm-hmm. And it was totally, it was a joy to do, and I hope my authors enjoy the the experience as well. But if I was to do it again, I would do one um, where I could pay the authors. Um, mm-hmm. And that hasn't right now. I don't have time to do something like that, um, and I'm not really sure what the market for that is as well. So you know, if it was a money making situation, you you have to take all these factors into consideration. Right. Um, like right. I want to support authors, but I also don't want to necessarily do it with my own money. <laughs> then it becomes a bit of a vanity project in a way. Right. Um, I. I don't want to do that. So I hope to do it again sometime, but I am not, uh, I don't see when that would happen, but it was so much fun. It was really just getting all those people together and the fact that they put time into writing stories for me and seeing what they came up with, with the different titles. It was a joy. It was, it was terrific. It was interesting because there, it depends on the type of GoGo's fan you are. Some people were like, oh, hell yeah, this is awesome. Others were like, uh, crime fiction, Guggos, no thank you. So, I mean, it really, it, it was well received, um, but there were also Guggos fans that just couldn't see the point hmm. um, because they don't like crime fiction. Maybe they're not big readers. Um, who knows? And that's fine. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's how it is with writing books. Um, but going back to the editing, you actually, you know, I said it was a joy to do, and you must have some sense of that yourself because you edited the Grifters song. 
So did you have that kind of same sense of, wow, this is really cool that people are writing stories and, and, and discovering what they came up with? How did you feel about that? Uh, the same way that you described, it's amazing to see what each different author does with a very small core of everything being the same, and then they jump off from there. You know, people surprise you with the setting that they choose and where they take the characters and 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 everything. Uh, and for me, it's been an extra bit of uh, excitement or of 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 wonder i guess is a better word for it um, because they're characters that i created and yeah. so but then i get to see what people like you do with them and so that's a tremendous segue um you're obviously a professional podcaster um <laughs> you all know i'm not professional when you have to cut out half the time. <laughs> and so your your episode of a grifter song is episode three yes. uh the in, in the money block yes uh, set in your hometown, uh, your current hometown of Sacramento, right? Well, yes and no. Um, I used a variety of, basically it's set in Northern California. It opens in South Lake Tahoe at a ski resort, which is kind of funny because I haven't really done much skiing at uh, in Tahoe, but I have done quite a bit of skiing and sometimes at like high-end resorts. So I kind of just had this picture I could, picture them all you know, in the hot tub of this really hoity-toity exclusive ski resort. Um, and so it's all that's all made up, uh, but it was based on situations that I had been in in my life. So it's funny how openings will just come to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that one just like it, for some reason, I just pictured them all in a hot tub. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it works. I think you, you like, like many of the authors, cause we're in our second season now yeah. just got picked up for the third season. So it's going strong. Um, it, it's always a pleasure to see, okay, where are they going to set this and are they going to capture the flavor of the location? Because as it was conceived part, that was part of, of the appeal was not only what the different voices from different authors would be like, but, you know, since they have a sense of, their place wherever they're setting it that uh, that that the setting would you know be different and have that character uh to it and definitely that happens in in your opening scenes in in tahoe it's so swanky and and uh, and you do a great job with the con i mean the con that you have set up for 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 the money block is 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 awesome i don't know how much we want to say without giving spoilers but uh the basic con is is probably not a spoiler is it no, I don't think so. Um, basically, uh, Sam and Rachel uh, con a guy into investing in a cryptocurrency. And my challenge for that particular storyline was that I really had no understanding of cryptocurrency it, it seemed like, and there's a line that I put in it. It's like, it seems like, I forget how I put it, but basically it was like, it, it seems like the money is in the air. Like there's, it's, it's not tan tangible. And uh, one of the characters says, you know, that strikes me as a rather stupid thing to invest in. How is this a real thing? And so I had to do quite a bit of research Um very little of it actually made it into the story. But in order to write the story, I needed to have a fairly good understanding of the way the whole process worked and then kind of add it in in drips and drabs. 
but one of the the benefits to that is that you have a scene where Sam uh, Sam is explaining cryptocurrency to the mark, mm-hmm. and that was you know hopefully I, it wasn't info dump, but you know I don't think it was. No, but not at all. It's a way to tell your reader who might not understand cryptocurrency either just a little bit about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're. I would have cut it if it was info dump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's been the other fun part about this series, um, and I'd be curious if your experience was similar for the Murder of Go-Go's, and that is, you know, when you get the story from the writer, in my experience, it's already so tight, and, and I mean, people are so conscientious of turning in something that's already well done, and then any any minor revisions that you end up doing are so well received, and even if there's a, a difference of opinion on it, it's you know, like a creative discussion, not a conflict. Yeah, I think for me, definitely the stories that were turned in were like super tight. There were so few major edits that I needed to make or developmental stuff. There were maybe three stories I had to do some major editing, but it became a collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I hope and I I do feel that my input made the stories better. And I hope that the authors who I had those types of interactions with um, felt that, you know, they didn't feel like I was stepping on their toes or or being critical. I think for me, because I'm a I don't ever want to make people mad or make people feel bad. So maybe in that sense, I'm not the best person to be an editor. Although when I read a lot of, um, I do a lot of beta reading for friends and I am just like, dude, this, I don't say this sucks, (laughs) but I will be very blunt in my, in my comments. Um, because I feel like they're not, they don't want to hear me say how great it is, or maybe they do, but I'm not there to, to blow smoke up their dress. I'm there mm-hmm. to help them write a better book as I see it. And they have mm-hmm. to navigate that. Um, it's, so it's a little bit different when you're editing an anthology or doing what you're doing. But somehow, like, I found myself, and maybe too, because I didn't, the, the authors weren't being paid. I felt a little bit like, well, God, how much can I ask of these people? And then, <laughs> then if I didn't feel like it could go in, I would send it back, send it back until we tweaked it to the point where it's like, okay, this, this will work. But I didn't necessarily like that. (laughs) (laughs) I think any writer, well, I guess I shouldn't speak for, for all people. I, I I can tell you that for myself and those writers that I beta read for and who do the same for me, we all appreciate the most direct and most critical response. And when you know the person is on your side, when their purpose is to help you have a better story, they're not trying to correct something to lord their superiority over you or something crazy like that. I mean, they're on your side and and it's like telling somebody you're walking out of your house with their zipper down, you know? And I mean, these are things that you appreciate and, and now you're better dressed, you know, and that's kind of what we're doing for these, for these uh, stories. You know, there was one other thing that you did really well in uh, the money block, and I do think it is a bit of a spoiler, so I'm not going to say what it is. I'll let the reader discover it on its own, but you added a particular element uh, that 
was very challenging for uh, Rachel in particular. And it is something that was so good that I made sure to uh, to reference it again in the uh, season finale. And so when it comes out on March 1st, people have to pick it up and see what that is. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I, yeah, I won't say much more about that either. Um, but that was an interesting thing for me to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't even say why it was interesting because then it's a spoiler, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just another layer to their characters right. and their relationship. And, um, and I really felt, I'll tell you as, as soon as you told me about it, the, the series and asked me to write it, I knew that was going to be an element of my series. Mm-hmm. I knew that before anything else. Wow. This isn't a spoiler, though. The reason I ca- I would have never in a billion trillion years come up with the cryptocurrency con, um, but Mick is the one who <laughs> who I said, Mick, I don't know what to do. I want to do this, but I can't think of anything because I don't write cons. Mm-hmm. I love cons and I love heists and all of that stuff, but I don't write them. And he came up with the idea and. Um, I fleshed it out and then had him read it to make sure that it made sense because he's a technical guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's how that whole thing came about. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a variation on an old con mm-hmm. um, called the money machine. Is it called the money block as well? It's called, no, no, no. It's called the, oh man, I forget now what it was called. Mm-hmm. Money block scheme. Cause mm-hmm. remember I, it's called a money block scheme. And okay. when I first gave you uh, my uh, my concept, you said, let's just call it the money block. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I don't even, honestly, I don't even remember what the mechanics of that are. Is, isn't, it, isn't it where they basically trick people into believing that they have a machine that makes $20 bills or yeah. something like that? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I didn't have that particular idea until okay so i mick gave me the idea to write the cryptocurrency then i like looked at all these different cons like i think a wikipedia page on cons and that one was one of them and that matched what i wanted to do right. the best and so that's where all that came from well you've mentioned mick a few times now uh the english husband that he is mm-hmm. um but he's also a writer yes he's a writer and so much more which we we can get into um so with having a husband uh, who's a writer as well, that, that must make for an interesting dynamic in the household as opposed to, uh, you know, a couple where one or the other is a writer and the other isn't. Well, um, Mick is a writer. Yes, he published a book called Tales from the Rabbit Hole uh, or no, mm-hmm. Escaping the Rabbit Hole uh, mm-hmm. a couple years ago. But he had been doing what I would call web content. He is a professional debunker. And what that means is that he debunks conspiracy theories. And he has a few that he specializes in. One is uh, contrails. People believe mm-hmm. they're chemtrails. He's uh, done a tremendous amount of research into um, 9-11 conspiracy theories. Um, and he's got a few more. His uh, website is called metabunk.org. And he's got a podcast called Tales from the Rabbit Hole. So really, that's what his focus is. And so he'll be out and about. Like I think right now he's outside doing some experiment. Um, because one of the ways that he debunks conspiracy theories is the science behind the claim. So 
basically if someone says, oh, I see a UFO, he'll do like all these crazy experiments to show how you can recreate create this UFO simply with a camera and a piece of tin foil. That's what I mean. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> So his job is so much more like I'm at my computer writing. He's doing all sorts of other things. And most of what he does is um, interacting with conspiracy theorists. He does a lot of interviews, one interaction with conspiracy theorists. I couldn't do it. So the crossroads of your two particular types of being a writer would be with, with the actual nuts and bolts of the writing process itself. Right. Right. Well, and, and actually, I didn't really answer your question all that well. As far as we are two married couple who works from home together and have worked from home for di- together for a long time. And one thing that I will say is that we have a big house and our offices are on opposite sides of it. <laughs> so <laughs> literally, we could spend the whole day and only cross for lunch in the kitchen. Um, we really... Unless we want to talk to each other, we don't. Um, and you know, a lot of times I'll just text them from my computer because there's no point in <laughs> doing it any other way, right? So we're in the same house and I'm texting him. But um, yeah, we do a really good job of staying out of each other's way. Well, it sounds like you're also supportive of each other, him helping out with the money block and yeah. things like that. Okay. Um, and, and there was a particular pride in your voice as you were pimping his website too. So I think <laughs> things are well in the house, in the West household. <laughs> I could not have found a better partner. Well, uh, the, the most recent, uh, work from Holly West is the money block, a grifter song episode three of season two. And when this podcast drops, it'll be three days old. It drops on March 1st from down and out books. It's so exciting. I can't believe it's. God, that time passed so fast. (laughs) It has in this interview, too. We are out of time, Holly. I got to say goodbye to you. Okay. Well, it's so good to talk to you. You too. And um, I'll be seeing you down in San Diego for Left Coast Crime. I'll be uh, going to that panel, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you'll learn something. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully I won't be uncomfortable. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for coming on the show, Holly. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, there you are, folks. Pretty good picture of Holly West. Really excited for her episode of A Grifter Song. She uh, did some things in there that I think really deepened the characters. uh, And uh, her story was a great take on an old con. Uh, Like I said, if you get a chance to meet her at a conference, you'll see what I mean about her having great energy. And it's uh, pretty obvious that she's just a a really nice person. Uh, Speaking of nice people, on our next episode... We're going to talk to Sean A. Cosby. He's a return guest, uh, and he's returned because he has a new book coming out called Blacktop Wasteland that is garnering a ton of great attention. So look for him on the next episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'd like to say thanks to Holly for coming on the show, being a great guest. Uh, Same thing for uh, Down and Out Books uh, when it comes to being a great sponsor. Thank you. But most of all, I want to thank you, the listener, for firing up this podcast every week and uh, listening to these great authors that uh, come on the show. And I hope that translates to checking out their work because you will not be disappointed. I promise you. Sean A. Cosby next episode. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.